What great words. Let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven. I hope the thought of that resurrection day is something that just inspires you, helps you kind of keep going even in the times when we live in a world that's messed up and there's a lot of pain and hurt in the world. We as Christians can look forward to that glorious day and remain faithful until then. Last week, I briefly introduced the uh, Bless Every Home website that I want you to jump on if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you are thankful for the salvation you have. I encourage you to jump onto that website and get signed up to be praying for your neighbors. There's more information we'll continue to present to you. But especially as we look at the book of Acts and we see the importance of proclaiming the good news of Christ. It's so important that we are praying for those around us who don't know the wonderful news of Jesus Christ that we just sang about. We were reminded last week that God possesses supreme power and he responds to the prayers of his people. And we must never doubt how powerful God is. Herod foolishly thought he could stand against God and he died trying. Peter trusted God and humbly gave him the credit and lived to tell about it. It's wise to fear God more than you fear man. God has the supreme power to accomplish his purposes. And we, as God's people, need to pray, and we pray with a spirit of expectation because God is faithful. And even when persecution ramps up, the gospel goes forward nonetheless. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today, so I encourage you to turn there or be ready or have your device on or we'll have it on the screen. But many would suggest that today's text is the foundation for the missions movement. We will see today that the Holy Spirit calls people into service and the church really affirms and confirms those callings and supports those people. We will also see that the shift toward the ministry to the Gentiles because of the blindness of the Jews. Look with me now at Acts. Actually, we're going to back up into chapter 12, just a couple verses, just for a little bit of context. So let's start in Acts 12, verse 25, or one verse into chapter 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we delight in the opportunities to come before you and to sing praises to you, to recognize that you are God and there is no other, that you are worthy of our praises, of our adoration, of all our love and worship. Father, as we come now to your word, we ask that your spirit would speak mightily in each of our own hearts and lives, would speak through me. And Lord, would you use it for your glory and for your honor. 
Father, we pray for East Campus today as they will be looking at the same passage. Lord, bless that uh, congregation there as well. And Lord, we pray for those that are proclaiming the word and the gospel around the world. May your word move forward in power and might. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So Barnabas and Saul and John Mark are back in Antioch. And this passage really kind of picks up where Pastor Thomas left off a couple weeks ago in that really chapter 12 is almost parenthetic here in in the story of Acts because remember Acts 11 ends with Saul and Barnabas bringing famine relief to Jerusalem to the believers there. And now they're obviously gathered back with the members of the Antioch church leadership. Luke calls them prophets and teachers. Luke re- Luke's reference to prof- uh, prophets here is uh, not likely referring to those who can foretell the future with God's power. It's more likely that they are ones who excelled at the interpretation of Scripture and the proclamation of it. Uh, Barnabas is listed first here, and that's a little bit curious. Why does Luke do this? And it may be due to him being sort of the representative of the Jerusalem group. It may be because of his influence, but if, his, if he's ranked first because of his influence, it makes you wonder why Saul would be listed last. Uh, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement, remember, and uh, a Jewish a native of Cyprus. Simeon, also a Jew, a nickname uh, suggests that he was of dark complexion, and he was Roman, or in the Roman social groups. Some have suggested that he may have been a Simon of Cyrene who carried Christ's cross, and that might be a stretch, but it's possible. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene, a North African coastal region where he's from. We have Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, who beheaded John the Baptist and treated Christ shamefully when he was on trial before him. It's interesting that the two had similar backgrounds and yet ended up becoming very different men. One, a follower of Christ, the other, an antagonistic fool. Saul then, a highly trained Pharisee who encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, remember that, and who works now for Christ. And today we will see him called Paul. The Holy Spirit speaks to them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, if you're like me, just that simple phrase raises questions. And I, I, I get a little frustrated here. I'm like, Luke, could we get a little more detail here? What, how did this happen? What exactly uh, was going on? Was it an audible voice that filled the room that they all heard? Uh, did the Holy Spirit prompt uh, a prophet to speak up? Uh, Was it a consensus of the Spirit? Some of you might be aware that I grew up going to church. I was the son of a preacher. My mother was very involved in various ministries of the church. My brothers and I would say that we were at church for any and every occasion. Whether we wanted to be or not, to be candid, there were times when maybe we didn't. Uh, I'm so grateful for that now. It's interesting to look at my my four brothers and their faithfulness to church, uh, even to this day. Uh, I'm faithful to church. I kind of have to be. But anyway, (laughs) 
good, thank you. You're being more responsive. I like that. Actually, the story is told of a mother who was struggling to get her son up for church. And she was prodding him and talking to him, saying, you've got to get up. It's Sunday. You must go to church. And he mumbles in a tired voice, give me three reasons why I should get up for church. She says, number one, you're 45 years old and you shouldn't have to be woken up at this point. (laughs) Number two, it's Sunday and that's what we do on Sundays. Number three, you're the pastor. (laughs) Over the years of growing up in a Christian home, it seems like I heard what would have been maybe hundreds of missionary talks and presentations. It's interesting to hear all those different things, quite often because uh, my parents would then invite the missionaries over to our house. It seemed like we had a meal with them, and then we would listen to some more stories. Uh, many of them were fascinating. I mean, just engaging and, and really kind of drew you in. Some were not, and they were hard to sit through. I remember the pictures. I remember the stories I remember uh, how some missionaries would share about issues of language, not being able to know what was being said or in the cultures they were going to, or issues of provisions, wondering where their next meal would come from and not knowing even where to get food or having what they needed to get it. The struggles of being in a strange culture, having to eat foods that you normally wouldn't eat or you don't even know what you're eating being in very scary, uh, life-threatening situations. And I remember as, uh, as these things would be shared, I remember that there was one predominant question that just kept rattling through my mind, and that was, what would possess someone to do this? Why would anyone choose to experience some of those things? And the answer that always came to those kind of questions were ones that struck me with a uh, long-term sense of anxiety about it, and that was that they would say, God told me to, or God told us to. And again, very early on hearing this in my life, I remember thinking, I don't think God has told me anything like that, and if God is going to call me to go to the mission field, then I'm not picking up the phone, I'm not answering that, it's going to voicemail, I don't want to go. I'd say to my parents things like, I'm good with the Bible, I'm good with faith, but I, I don't want to be a missionary. And then they would, with a very annoying tone, say, well, God might want you to. <laughs> it was amazing to me to hear what God was doing in these cultures and how God had prompted them, and I didn't have any lack of appreciation for that. They were amazing people in my mind. I just didn't want any part of it. But again, it goes back to that question. I mean, how does this call happen? I don't know if you've ever heard an audible voice from the Lord. I've heard a fellow believer share the exact thoughts and words that were about to come out of my mouth at the same time, and I'm going, wow, did God do that? I've had uh, my own moments where many of the thoughts that are rolling through my head are not my own, and and don't let that cause concern for you. Uh, But you just know that, okay, that's not my thinking there. Remember, John 10 speaks of 
Jesus seeing his followers as sheep, and, and he indicates that his sheep know his voice. If you've been walking with Jesus for a certain period of time, you understand what it's like to have those promptings of the Spirit, and you know God is speaking to me right now. And maybe some of those early times you go, I don't even know, where did this come from? Or, or is this actually true? And, and sometimes you have to go back against Scripture. Am I being told something against Scripture? Am I being told something that is a sin? Obviously, that, that is not of the Spirit. Does the Word of God align with what I was just told? My wife and I have had multiple instances where the Lord was changing both of our hearts and minds at the same time without a mutual discussion. One of those times was about adoption. We had three children. We were perfectly content with those three. We might have traded them in on various occasions, but, um, but God laid on both of our hearts that someone was missing in our home. When my wife finally voiced that phrase to me, I said, that's interesting. That's what I was thinking too. It led us to adopting two and then three more. Why not? Cheaper by the dozen. Luke doesn't specify here, and, and, and again, I wish he would, but it may have gone like this. They're worshiping together. They're, they're praying. They're fasting. We see that right in the text. They've got time together where they're doing this. Maybe there's time where they're doing it alone. They've spent time considering Scripture, singing, remembering what Jesus said, recalling his words, praying together, praying on their own, and then it happens. Maybe, maybe it was Simeon. Maybe Simeon speaks up and he goes, you know, this may sound strange, but I feel like God just told me that Saul and Barnabas are supposed to be set apart for a special task. And Menin gets this wide-eyed look on his face and he goes, I just had the same thought. And Lucius is nodding. He's confirming. And then Saul speaks up with some sarcasm. Oh, sure, God is telling you what I need to do. Isn't that nice? How do you feel about it, Barney? Right? And Barnabas says, yes, me too. And it's okay, Saul. We can do it, right? Barnabas the encourager. Maybe that's how it went. And Saul says, I know. He told me too. I'll say it once, I'll say it twice, and I'll say it so many times it irritates you. There's so much power in prayer. There's so much power in prayer. No doubt within the prayers of this group were requests asking the Lord for direction, knowing that they had been given the commission and given the Spirit so that they could be witnesses in all the land. Again, not a lot of detail here. But that's not that abnormal. Think back to, with me to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, Abram was called by the Lord. And look at the detail he receives in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your, your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, in, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the detail centers around now go, and then I'm going to be with you. Just go. It's okay. That's what you need to know. And today's text suggests a situation similar for Saul and Barnabas. 
Notice again what takes place in that third verse. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Here we see not only the obedience, but you see them coming around them. The church, the fellow believers with them are backing them. They had prayer together. They're, they're fasting, and then they're commissioning. We are with you. You represent Christ, but you represent us. We are with you. We will uphold you. Understand the local church is charged with confirming the Lord's call upon someone to missionary service. And the process of commissioning that missionary is an important part of that process. It would have been one thing if, if in that occasion, Barnabas just speaks up and says, I think the Spirit is telling me I, I, I need to go. And then Saul says the same thing. And then they go, oh, that, that's cool. And then we, we're just, we're with you. But here, the confirmation is through all of them, which is neat. And I want you to think about it for a minute. If you're uh, Barnabas or Saul, how comforting would it have been to have other believers confirm this, this thought, this understanding, this course of action? Now, to be candid with this, over the years, I, I think there's been times when those... Uh, Confirmations have not taken place like they should. I, I've seen times where uh, an individual says, God's calling me to do something, and, and those who know him or know her best are going, I, I don't know. Years ago, a good friend of mine was convinced he was being called to a ministry. And it, I just... It wasn't confirmed in my heart, and, and I wish I had have spoken up about it sooner. It was a very, very rough go for him for a couple of years. And I remember after, after that time saying to him, you know, I, I, I probably should have spoken up, but it just didn't seem right at the time. Now, that's, that's something we've got to do cautiously because we don't get to be someone else's Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit speaks and, and, and does what he's going to do. And we can't only use logic. How often does the Spirit of God work in a way that doesn't seem logical to you and I? So you can't just go by that. You have to go by more than just that. But there is a point where if the Spirit is telling you something different, it's probably appropriate to say so. Tough, tough situation. What does it mean for us? I think it just speaks to the importance of your involvement in missions, in the process. Your involvement in praying for and, and listening to these stories and these callings. Being faithful and supporting people. And with an emphasis on prayer. It's always important to send support and to sustain someone but honestly, I would suggest in many cases it's easier to write a check than it is to prayerfully support someone. You just kind of write a check and go, good, I hope something good comes of this. And then we forget about it until the next time they visit or something like that. Here we see a good model for sending missionaries. The local congregation, those believers, worship and fast together. And they're in a place where they can hear from the Holy Spirit and they pray for them and send them off. Now, 
In this stretch of scripture today, I would suggest that there's really enough for two messages here, but I'm going to mash them into one. So look with me now as we continue on in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, and they came to us upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I'm not going to go into tremendous depth here. It's worth taking a look at the map here to see some of these, these points where they're going to. You know, they've got uh, Segesia right there, uh, seaport 16 miles from Antioch, then to Cyprus, 130 miles and to Salamis, the largest city in the eastern por portion of Cyprus. And they're going now, in there, they're going into the synagogues. There's Jews there, there would also be Gentiles as well. And John Mark is along with them as an assistant or an intern. And I'm not exactly sure what his role was. Maybe he had to contact Avis to get rental cars or what. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was helping them in some way or another. But in Paphos, they in encounter this interesting character named Bar-Jesus, or Elymas. And he's opposing Saul and Barnabas and John Mark. And likely because they have the attention of this intelligent man, this proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Proconsuls were governors appointed by the Roman Senate, high-ranking, smart, and here an influential man. And Elymas is trying to stop Sergius from responding to the faith. In these moments, we know that evil is trying to have its way. As strange as it sounds over the years in ministry, I can be encouraged at times when it seems like the enemy is striking back against what is happening. It's like a reminder that God is doing something or God is going to do something. Now, as I say that, I want to be cautious here. I don't want to ascribe to Satan omnipresence because I don't think that's right, okay? But that doesn't mean that enemy isn't, the enemy isn't working in various ways and people who are of more evil descent aren't trying to stop something. Look at verse 9 again. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. I think this is important. Saul is uniquely equipped for the ministry uh, because of his Jewish and Roman background. 
And here now we see his Roman name, Paul, come into play, and we're going to see that continue. So what does Paul do? He he says quite a statement to him. I wouldn't consider this a great outreach statement. I wouldn't uh, say this is a good approach to an unbeliever. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Uh, How bold, right? But I often wonder when we as Christians are too passive when we encounter evil, or maybe too fearful. Something to think about. Is there a time to be bold? Obviously, the Spirit was prompting Paul here. It was years ago I heard Alistair Begg use this phrase in reference to David taking on uh, Goliath. And it was a simple phrase, but I love the way it presents these kind of situations. And, And the phrase was, who does he think he is? And I'd suggest that you could say that about both uh, Paul and Elymas here. Elymas, bar Jesus. You could say, who does he think he is? What audacity that he's going to interrupt and he's going to try to stop Sergius Paulus from hearing. I mean, whoa, who does he think he is? But maybe you could say that about Paul here too. Who does he think he is? How crazy bold. He calls him the son of the devil. He says, you're a villain. You're deceitful. You're the enemy of anything good. I mean, how bold can you get? Who does he think he is? But maybe the greater question here is asked when you change the he, being lowercase h, to uppercase h. And you could ask the same question again. With Elymas bar Jesus, who does he think he is that he could try to stop someone from coming to faith? How dare he oppose God? But maybe the question then comes of Paul as well. Who does he think he is? Who does Paul think that God is that he would defend him so viciously and and even have the confidence that God would follow through and, and blind the man? Who does he think God is that he would call it like it is, that he would reprimand him with Christ's authority, that he would call him a a son of a devil? Which is interesting to think of why he would say that, but the answer might be in the name Bar-Jesus because Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of Yeshua. He's going, you're the son of the enemy. You're the son of the devil. The enemy of righteousness, you're full of deceit and villainy. And that which is straight, you make crooked. Fine, you want to keep trying to interfere with Sergius Paulus coming to faith? Is that what you want to keep doing? And be blind. Why would he do that? 
Do you think this occasion had the attention of those there? Imagine being Sergius there, and you're kind of watching this exchange, and you're, you're going, wow. This guy over here is trying to stop me from believing, and this guy over here gets very bold about stopping him and then inflicts blindness upon him. And maybe Sergius is watching this, and, it, and he's watching them go back and forth, and he's going, wow, who does he think he is? Whoa, who does he think he is? Understand, Paul and Barnabas are set apart for this ministry. They're empowered by God for it. You will be my witnesses, remember? Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Later, Paul would say to the church in Galatia that he was set apart by God from birth. As I wind this down, I want to come back to a question that I presented a few minutes ago. Why might Paul have pronounced upon Elymas blindness? You'll be unable to see the sun for a while. Was it not enough to say those things about him? Just, just say, you're not the son of Yeshua. You're not the son of Jesus. You're the son of the devil. It wasn't enough to say, you're the enemy of all, right, all righteousness. You're a villain. You're a liar. You'll be blind for a while. Why might Paul do that? I want to suggest to you today that it might have been just grace. It might have been grace. Do you think that it's possible that Paul looks at Bar-Jesus, Elymas, and he sees in himself the old Saul? He remembers when he so aggressively fought against the way, right? Fought against these early believers. And he's looking at this man and he's going, that's who I was. I remember fighting against the good news of Christ that hard. And he looks at Elymas and he sees himself. And he thinks about that road to Damascus experience, and he says, Elymas, you'll be blind for a while and unable to see the sun. What did physical blindness coincide with in Saul's life? He remembers losing his physical sight and gaining spiritual sight. He's saying, you're so lost. You've missed it so bad. But I was there. And you need to see things different. You're so deceived. I'd suggest to you it was grace. What a moment. For Sergius just to take this all in to wonder what's going on.
and he believes. Astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That's interesting. He's astonished at the teaching. Yeah, he just sees Paul perform this miracle, I think the first miracle for Paul, right? And yet he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord because they came, sent out, set apart, commissioned and empowered by the Spirit of God. Just some thoughts as I wrap up. As a local church, we are to commission and support the missionaries we confirm as called to the field. I think it's beautiful that we can be a part of what's happening there. And I think sometimes we choose how much of a part we're going to be a part of that. If it's just we're going to write a check and support them, then we're choosing to be a part of them in whatever sacrifice we're making there. When we choose to make them a regular part of our prayer, then we're having a greater part in that. That means in somehow, in some way, you're part of what's happening. Are you praying for our missionaries? Finally, I'll just close with the question, who do you think that he is? Who do you think he is? And how does that affect how you then live? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are once again reminded of just how amazing you are. And Father, as we read through this account, the Acts of the Apostles, we, we could have never predicted it or never have written the story the way you designed it to go. But Father, we thank you that you know what was needed, that you knew who, who you were calling and how you were going to do it. And Father, we thank you that you do defeat the enemy. We know how the story goes. We know how it turns out. And Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel, for the redemption provided by Christ and for the message you give us to share. Lord, even as we shared in communion together today, we were reminded again of how blessed we are to know Jesus, to know the grace and mercy and forgiveness offered through him that we too could be set apart as yours, as your ambassadors. Father, may we be people of grace who honor you because of who we think you are. Lord, be exalted and be praised. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.